Well, hello, Arbor. I'm Mike, and it is wonderful to be with you. It is always an honor to be with you. Hey, before we jump in, I want to make sure you know, quick announcement, that starting next week, our service times are going to be going back to what they used to be. They're going back to 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. So just make that note starting next week. Uh, today, we're talking about the life you were made for. And we started talking about it last week. This is the second part of this little two-part series. As we jump in, I want to let you know, or maybe some of you already know, that I majored in philosophy at Pepperdine University. Pepperdine's the greatest university on the planet, founded by Solomon. You can look it up. And I, I majored in philosophy because I didn't realize that you needed, um, what are they called? Uh, skills. You need actual monetizable skills. And, and I didn't realize that. And so I majored in philosophy and I, I learned, you know, one thing. And so I want to share with you that one thing that I learned. It's a Greek word and it's the Greek word arete. Arete is the Greek word for excellence. It is the highest quality. It is the most excellent state a thing can be. So, for example, a chair that wobbles lacks arete. Or a finely crafted wristwatch that you wear as a pilot, as you pri- uh, pilot your private jet around the globe, like that atomic precision, that, that's an example of arete. And everything has it. Everything has a pinnacle of excellence. For example, you think about dogs, right? All the dogs, the breeds of dogs are are all around the globe. Think about the one which for you exudes the highest example of of dogness, right? And you're thinking right now in your your mind, you're thinking French bulldog. That's right. That's the the pinnacle of of, of dogness. In fact, what I want to do is I want to get a chubby, lazy French bulldog and name it Arate. Okay, so the idea is this pinnacle example. And we talked last week about how Jesus came and he took that pursuit of excellence and he transformed it into a promise. He said, in fact, this is the purpose for which I came. He says in John 10, 10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And so he comes and he gives us this abundant life. He gives us this life to the full. And we spent all of our time talking last week about what that looks like. You might remember this blueprint for our whole life of excellence. It's these domains in which we live in. All of us live in these domains. And right at the center is our spiritual life. It's our core. And we started talking about this and recognize that these two messages go together. And so if you missed last week for some reason, go back and grab it because it will talk about this life to the full that Jesus invites us into in all of these areas. And before we go any further, you have to understand that God himself is the one who designed this. God himself is the one who designed you. And he is the driver and the giver of all victory, of all excellence, of all success. In fact, it says this in Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. So we talked about that last week, and then we ended our time together by saying that there really is only one thing that's preventing you from living the life that you were made for. There's literally only one barrier that's standing in the way of you and this abundant life that Jesus is calling you into. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's jump in. 
you might know that every time in the scripture that God shows up on earth to talk to one of us mere mortals, every time he sends his angel ambassadors to have a conversation with a human, every single time the conversation always begins with the same sentiment. It always begins with, don't be afraid. It always begins with the words, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings, which will be a great joy to all the people, right? And, and friends, I don't have any idea what angels might look like, but you get the, the sense that they might look like the Incredible Hulk with fairy wings, right? Because every time an angel shows up on the scene, the human that they're talking to, you know, their knees buckle and, and they wish they were wearing adult diapers. And so the angels always begin by saying, hey, look, calm down, calm down. I don't want any harm for you. No, no, stop. I've got good news for you. Don't be afraid. Here's a towel and some clean shorts. And, and, and so you recognize that this is a common theme throughout all the scripture. In fact, Bible scholars note that God communicates this concept through the, throughout the scriptures about 365 times. That means that one time for every day of the year, God wants to communicate his heart for you. Don't be afraid. And have you ever thought about why? Why is it that God really doesn't want you to be afraid? It's because he wants us strong and confident in him, not cowering and shivering in fear. You see, this is what he says to Joshua, Joshua 1.9. This is my command, the Lord is speaking. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, he knows that fear will steal your life. It'll diminish your enjoyment and the positive impact that your life can have on others. Fear wrecks havoc on your potential. It actually influences what will happen because it causes you to shrink back. I did some research. I found that there was this research project done, and it was done in order to see what kind of um, relationship there was between imagination and behavior. And so what these researchers did is they brought in these elementary school kids one at a time into a very sterile room. And the only thing in the room was a table with an empty box on it and a lid. And the instructor would talk to the student and say, hey, you know, magic isn't real. You know that your mind cannot create things just out of thin air. And the kids would all agree. And they said, but I want you to imagine something. And then they put the lid on the box. And the instructor would say to about half the kids, I want you to imagine that this box is filled with cookies. And then they would ask follow-up questions like, can you tell me what kind of cookies they are? Are they chocolate chip cookies? Are they, are they frosted cookies? Tell me how full the box is. Is it just filled with cookies? Tell me how they taste. Are they delicious? And they would go through this exercise with about half the, the kids, one at a time. And then the other half of the kids had a very similar kind of imagination exercise. But instead of cookies, they were asked to imagine that the box was filled with snakes. And they would ask follow-up questions like, now how many snakes are in there? And what do they look like? And are these dangerous snakes? Are they poisonous? And, and, and then at about this part, in every single interview with every single child, the instructor would say, oh, you know what? Hold on one second. And they would leave the room, leaving the child alone with a box on a table with the lid on it. Now, here's what's interesting. Every single child who imagined that the box was filled with snakes slowly crept away 
from the table. They all moved as far as they possibly could away from the box that was still had the lid on it. Conversely, every child who imagined that it was filled with cookies went straight to the box and took the lid off. And you know what they found? Snakes. And they, no, nothing. The, The box was empty. And the box was empty because that's just like most of our fears. I want you to see, though, that there's a power in what fear does. It causes us to shrink. It causes us to to move backward, whereas hope causes us to rise and move forward. See, God shows up with the message, no fear, because the, the spirit of fear is not what he wants us to live with. Friends, please memorize this verse from 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Frederick Buechner says this. He says, one life on this earth is all we get. And the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and beautifully as we can. So friends, let's talk about what it looks like to step through our fear in order to live the life that we were made for. The first truth here is that we have to recognize naming our fear is really what turns the lights on. Naming our fear, calling it out, actually pinning it to the board, it's like flipping the light switch on in a dark bedroom. I want to ask, what are the fears in your life that are preventing you from living this full and abundant life that Jesus calls you to? Can you, can you put a name on a fear that's keeping you small? You see, we all have angst. We all have anxiety. We all have worry and concern and dismay and doubt and unease. And, and we keep sort of living under this vague, hazy fog, this oppressive cloud over us. But we never really name what it is that we're afraid of. Because the truth of the matter is that legitimate fears are incredibly rare. Study after study show that virtually 98% of the things we worry about never happen. Now, occasionally, there is something to be afraid of. You know, I, I grew up, my dad was in the Marines. He was a career Marine and incredibly successful. He was one of those soldiers, the, uh, you know, just absolutely ripped and, and muscular. He was powerful. One of those dismember you 10 ways with his pinky kind of a guy. And barrel chested, although he's much older now, that barrel has descended down to his waistline. He's more teddy bear than Rambo. But at the time, you know, really intimidating. And, and he would come home when he was not shipped out on assignment in the afternoons and we would often wrestle or we'd play catch or have fun together. And so one time when I heard his car pull into the driveway, I thought to myself as a, as a young kid, I thought, I'm going to start a game of hide and seek and invite him into it. So when he walked in the front door, I yelled from the garage. I said, Hey dad, I'm hiding in the garage. Come and find me. And then I, I, I ran and I hid. Here's what you need to know. My garage looked like a junkyard inside an antique store inside a junkyard. Like there was stuff everywhere. There was stuff on the floor and on the walls and hanging from the rafters. And and the hiding place I had found was behind a love seat back, you know, sort of near the John Denver records and inside of an empty cabinet. And that's where I was hiding. And I knew that my dad would never find me there. And so I kind of wait there and I hear the garage door open And then the light clicks off and the garage door closes and he had left. 
My dad hadn't engaged in the game. He, maybe he didn't understand that I was hiding, waiting for him. I don't know. But, but all of a sudden, now I am in this dark corner of a suddenly terrifying garage. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, oh my gosh, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's got to come back. And I waited and I waited. I, I waited for like 30 seconds. And, and then I, I decided I've got to get out of here. So I, I open up the cabinet door and I lean forward quietly. I'm not making a sound. I'm not even breathing but I could hear somebody else breathing in the garage. And instantly the hair on the back of my neck went up and I thought, oh my gosh, somebody else is in here with me. Now, just so you know, during these days, there was a man that was called the Night Stalker. He was a serial killer. He was haunting all these communities of Southern California. He'd actually visited Mission Viejo, which is the town I was living in. And it caused my brother, my sister, and I all to sleep together at night, which is what we thought made us safer. But for a serial killer, it's like jackpot, you know. But I I realized now I am hiding in a terrifying garage with a serial killer. I'm about, my, my life's about to be over. And so I think to myself, I've got to get out of here. And I can see that just under the garage door is, is a sliver of light. And if I can just make it there, I'll be safe. And so I take a deep breath and, and I vault. I jump over the love seat. I knock over the John Denver records. I bark my shin on a toolbox. I hit a hanging bicycle. But I get to the door. I open up the door. Light floods my body. I'm safe. And I turn back. And from the blackness of the garage, my dad goes, boo! And I wet myself. I, I, I'm still in therapy. The point is this, that... FDR says that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But apparently he did not have a father in the military who terrified him in a dark garage. You see, sometimes there actually is something to fear. But almost all the time, what you'll realize is it's not as bad as fear makes it out to be. Almost all the time, you'll realize it's your dad punking you and not the serial killer. And even when there is something legitimate to fear, friends, something which causes pain or alarm or concern that's valid, even then you don't need to choose fear for the simple reason that you're not in that situation alone. You never face your fear alone. See, I return to one of the most famous passages in scripture. It's so famous that it gets famously forgotten. And it's Psalm 23, verse four. It says, yea, though I walk Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Friends, God is with us. God is for us. Remember, if if God is with us and God is for us, who can be against us? And so naming your fear is like turning the light on. And as long as you do that, as you name it, you can feel it lifting. You can feel these clouds, these oppressive clouds of anxiety evaporating in the sunlight, right? Because things that are terrifying in the dark really lose their their barb once you turn the light on. I want you to think about in my garage, that if the light had been on and I saw my dad sort of squatting there by the laundry, the whole thing would have been comical, not terrifying. So turn the light on, name your fear. And recognize that everything you want, the life you were made for, is on the other side of it. So call it out because the truth will set you free. You know, there's a a thing that I do with some of my coaching clients, and it's called fear setting. It's an exercise that I learned from Tim Ferriss. He's the author of the uh, 4-Hour Workweek. And what it is is this. You simply make a couple of columns. 
And the first column is where you define your fear. What is the worst case scenario that could happen? And then the next column, what you do is you prevent it. Okay, if that's the worst case, what can I do to prevent the worst case from happening? And then in the third column, you do repair. In other words, if the worst case does happen, what can I do to repair it? How does my life go on from there? And it's an incredibly liberating exercise because it moves our focus from the vague and anxious realm of inaction to the place where our preferred future draws us courageously forward. So that's the first truth is to name your fear. turns the lights on. The second, now rename your fear as opportunity. Now we recast it in a different light. It's not a fear. It's an opportunity. It's not afraid. It's a challenge, right? If you're afraid of failing in adventure, in a venture, rename it as education for your growth. You're afraid of ending a partnership. Rename it as building toward the future. I don't know if you've ever played the game Shoots and Ladders. I grew up uh, playing this game. It was one of several board games that I played. And, and you just hit the spinner and you move your, your guy along. And if you land on a square with a chute, well, then you drop down and you move backward. But if you land on a square with a ladder, you actually climb the ladder and go forward. But I have since come to realize that that's actually kind of an analogy for life. But it has nothing to do with the luck of the spinner. See, the reality is every square you land on provides you the opportunity to either shoot down in self-pity and fear, to go backward and to shrink, or to climb the ladder and to go forward, to progress, to move into the opportunity that is provided in this moment. You see, when we can reorient our minds around the fact that what we fear is actually a new beginning or a new venture or a new direction, this opportunity in disguise, then we're off and running. Uh, we've talked about this before uh, in many circles as, as getting up and, and having a 30,000-foot perspective, right? Taking a look at the whole surveying the land type of a thing. Or we, even in some of my circles, we've talked about how you've got to move from the dance floor up onto the balcony so you can actually take a look at what's really going on below. Brian Tracy says it this way. He says, the key to success is to focus our conscious mind on things we desire, not things we fear. So up on the balcony, we are open to all sorts of new possibilities, new solutions. In fact, God is able to literally download ideas into us, to, to give us solutions we previously haven't seen, to stir up our creativity where before all we saw were barriers. For example, I heard a story of an aging man who was very close to his son, Terrence, and, and he wrote Terrence all the time because Terrence happened to be in prison. And one springtime, this old father was writing to his son, and he said how much he missed him. He said, I was going to plant tomatoes in the backyard this year like we used to do together, but I realized I can't because I'm too old to till the earth, and you're not here to help me. A couple of days later, the father got a letter from Terrence in prison, and it was short, and it was urgent, and it simply said this, do not, dad, I repeat, do not dig in the backyard. That's where I buried the bodies. Well, this father sat on the letter for about a half a day, and then he finally realized he had to go to the police, and so he called the police, and they descended in droves. They, they, they brought officers. They brought forensics. They brought dogs. They brought pickaxes. They brought backhoes. They, they, they turned over every square inch of that backyard, and they found nothing. There, there was nothing amiss there, and, and then a few days after that, 
Terrence sent another letter to his father, and it was much more relaxed. And it said, hey, Dad, there never were any bodies buried in the backyard. But because I love you, go ahead and plant those tomatoes now. You see, he had figured out how to get the backyard tilled, even though he couldn't be there to do it himself, right? He was removed from the situation, and he was able to get into a creative space where the solution simply came to him. So friends, turn the light on, rename your fears opportunity and realize what your unmet challenge is costing you. It's costing you your dreams. It's costing you the life that you were made for. The third thing that we do, and friends, this will not be a surprise to you, it's we release our anxiety to Jesus. We literally release our anxiety to him. We name it, we rename it as opportunity, and then we bring it to Jesus. Literally, it might be as simple as saying those words, Jesus, I release this fear to you. I refuse to carry this fear with me anymore. Some of you might want to imagine that you put all of your fear into these buckets, and then you carry those buckets to the foot of the cross, and you leave them there, and you walk away unburdened. But you simply do this work with the Lord and then give him the things that you're afraid of. Personally, as a follower of Jesus, there are so many verses in the scriptures I find helpful. For example, 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love expels all fear. And because we are loved perfectly by our perfect Savior, by our perfect Creator, all fear is expelled. I have less and less concern about what other people think of me because I have this beautiful, unfailing love that I'm receiving from Him. Or this verse from Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. You see, once you release your anxiety through prayer, it's time to number four, to vault through your challenge. To go ahead and leap, to vault through your challenge. Living in fear is a kind of death, and that's why vaulting through your challenge is so powerful. It's a kind of a resurrection. Stepping through your fear destroys it. It evaporates it. And on the other side, we get to experience life, heart-pounding and chills-inducing life. See, vaulting requires something of you. It requires you to be all in. There's no such thing as middle ground in vaulting. Clement Stone says that thinking will not overcome fear, but action will. And I believe that to be true. I'm a child of the 80s. I think it's the greatest decade ever. And so for this example, I want to go to the pinnacle of cinematic excellence. And of course, I'm referring to the movie The Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio as as Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. You might remember. It's a classic. You know it. And in this movie, there's a scene It's actually right before Daniel begins to train for karate with Mr. Miyagi. And and so they're together, and Mr. Miyagi asks a simple question. He says, Daniel, are you ready to begin the study of karate? And Daniel has his hand in his pocket. He's kind of slouching. He says, yeah, I guess so. And Miyagi says, no, no, no. He kind of kneels down in front of Daniel. And he says, Daniel, studying karate is like walking down the street. You walk down the right side of the street, safe. You walk down the left side of the street, safe. 
You walk down the middle of the street, squash, like a grape. He said, karate is the same. You study karate, yes, okay. You study karate, no, okay. But you study karate, guess so. Squash, like a grape. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I get chills every time. Oh, my goodness. So, so that's the reality. And if you're, you know, maybe you're a Jedi fan, here's Yoda's take on it. Do or do not. There is no try. In other words, remaining in half-hearted purgatory is the most dangerous pathway for all of us. It's interesting to me that Jesus says exactly the same thing. He says there is no road in the middle ground. Uh, in Revelation 3.15, he says, I know what you've done, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but since you're lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Yeah, friends, this is why Starbucks doesn't sell anything in the lukewarm category right? It, it, Jesus is saying, look, this, this middle ground, this, this wishy-washiness, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. When I was growing up in Southern California, there was a place called Three Arch Bay. It was a beach that we used to go to with my friends, and there were these places where we could go cliff jumping. There was a 10-foot rock that we could jump off of, and there was a 30-foot rock that we enjoyed. But if you had just an extra amount of adventure within you, you could swim out around the point and scale the rocks. There was a 55-foot cliff that you could jump. And when you got up to the top, you realized there were some rocks at the bottom, so you really had to jump off. You had to give it your all. And the problem with that was that there wasn't much room to run. There was kind of a small, you know, gathering space on the top that you could run and jump from. And the, the entire rock was covered with ice plant, which is incredibly slippery. One day, my brother Mark was there with his two buddies, Ando and Payson, and, and they were trying to get the nerve to jump. And finally, Ando says, okay, I got this, I got this. And he backs up as far as he can, and then he begins to run because he's going to do this. But after about two or three steps, he loses his nerve, and so he just stops. He plants his feet. The problem was the ice plant was so slippery that he slipped, and he began to slide toward the edge of the cliff. And every muscle in his body was frozen, except I understand the muscles connected to his bladder. And, and my, my brother jumped on him, and they stopped him, and they got him back up, and he was safe. And, and you might be hearing that story, and you go, oh, my goodness, that's so dangerous. Why would anybody go cliff jumping? Oh, but friends, if you could muster the courage, if you could, if you could you just screw yourself to the sticking place and really go for it, it was a vault into the glory of creation. I mean, it was holy adrenaline. It was absolutely experiencing the pinnacle of life, not to mention an enema that was unforgettable. And, and, and again, the point of all this is it's cliff jumping, yes, okay. Cliff jumping, no, okay. But cliff jumping, guess so? Squish, like a grape, right? And that is the call for us, that when we've released our fears to Jesus, that we will vault our way through the fear and into the challenge that he has for us. And the last thing you need to know in terms of living courageously, number five, stepping through your fear today prepares you to conquer it tomorrow. That's right, stepping through your fear now is the best and the only preparation to conquering your fear the next time. You see, reflection on the past is what allows us to lead to bold action in the future. So friends, own your victories over fear. Victory builds on victory. And the corollary is also true, by the way, that avoiding your fear today means that you'll avoid it again tomorrow. 
Max Lucado tells a story, it's a legend coming out of India, about a mouse who was terrified of cats. And so he goes to a magician, and the magician agrees to change him into a cat, and so he's no longer afraid of cats. And this works just fine for a while until this cat meets a dog. And so he goes back to the magician, and, and the, the magician agrees, transforms him into a dog. So now he's no longer afraid of dogs, and this is fine until he meets a tiger. And so the magician goes ahead and changes him again into a tiger. This goes on just fine until the tiger meets a hunter. And at this point, the magician refuses to help. He says to the tiger, I will not help you because though you have the body of a tiger, you still have the heart of a mouse. Friends, why did that tiger have the heart of a mouse? Because instead of facing its fears, it sidestepped them. Instead of facing its fears, it it just maneuvered around them. And I want you to understand this, that avoiding fear will never build the muscles of courage. And God wants us, he calls us to live courageously. You know, sometimes we do this very thing in parenting with good intention. When we help our kids avoid difficult situations or fearful scenarios, and we think we're helping them out, But friends, the unintended side effect, the consequence that we're not prepared for is that we are preventing their hearts from growing bold by conquering their fears. Norton says to escape fear, you have to go through it, not around it. So friends, what is one immediate step right now that you can take to step through your fear? Boldly decide to work these steps we've talked to so that you can identify them and then rename them as opportunities and then bring your anxiety to Jesus and then vault through your fear with him so that you can be courageous the next time you face a challenge. I hope you understand, friends, that this message is designed to go hand in hand with last week's message. And I want you to recognize that put together, this is my my true conviction that what the world needs right now more than it ever has before, are followers of Jesus Christ who are wholeheartedly going after excellence in all the areas of their life, living courageously as they walk with Jesus. So friends, that's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for for myself. Let me go ahead and close with this passage from Psalm 121. Just receive these words. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. And Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you that you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death before us, you have, you have conquered death. You have conquered fear. You, you are the one who walks with us in all of the dark and scary places of our lives. And so, Jesus, right now, I ask that you would work within each and every one of our hearts, everyone listening to this, all of our Arbor community, that, that you would be powerfully present with us, allowing us to understand that you have made us more than conquerors,
that you have called us to live a life that is both confident and courageous, that, that is the pinnacle of excellence because you have promised to give us this rich and satisfying life, this life of abundance. And so, Jesus, we take hold of this now. We ask that you would allow us to walk with you this day and every day. And we are so thankful for your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.